continuing today, or actually we're wrapping up our series today on margin. You know, we started this really about two months ago, talking about sacred pathways, talking about soul training, talking about things in our lives that we know just really just stretch us and put us in spots that overwhelm us. We've kind of landed on Matthew 11, and reading out the message Jesus speaking here. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out of religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This next verse, or this next sentence, I have to come back to this. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I realize I may lay it on myself. He says, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. I mean, I don't know about you. To live freely and lightly. The whole concept of shared with you my days growing up as a kid and teenager and early, or yeah, I was in my teens, drag racing in the backwoods of Arkansas. And one thing about drag racing is you want to always take that engine right up to that red line, but you don't want to stay there long and you don't want to go over. Because once you go over in a combustion engine, what happens? You begin to damage those parts inside that engine. So you, you can't, you can bring it to there on occasion, but you got to back off it. You bring it there, but if you keep continuing to go over it, what happens? You just begin to destroy things. So for us, we don't want to live a whole. We understand that life is not about redlining. And life is not designed to live there where we consistently reach the limits of our strengths, our resources, our our capacity of self-control, our capacity of emotion. When you live there, you have no margin. When you have no margin, you have no room for error. You have no room for just the slightest anything. You're vulnerable in a weak, weak way. But our world, what it do? It pushes us towards that. Our culture encourages us to live there, to fill up our schedules, to max out our credit. But most of us, you know, many of us, we don't need to eliminate bad things in our life, even though there may be some things that you're doing. Most of us are making decisions on things that are probably, we would look at or that were good things or immoral things. Most of us don't get up in the morning and we come to church. We don't try to decide going to church or going to a crack house somewhere. That's not the choice. It's not that extreme, is it? When I'm looking at it that way, it's, it's choices that are good choices. You know, it's not like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to go find something on, on, the, on the internet that's going to really destroy my mind. That's usually not the choices. It's usually choices of good things. That we're trying to, or amoral things that really have no good or bad. It's how we begin to use it. That's where we land. But the rhythm of life. Early on, God initiated a cycle in creation, and he called it Shabbat, or Sabbath. 
designed this cycle of the Sabbath to give the human body the rest it needs. And we've talked a lot here about to live by faith. Part of our, the first part of our mission is saying, to live by faith. Rest may be the first place some of you need to begin to live by faith. Shabbat may be the place some of you need to begin to live by faith because this rest is as much about faith as it is anything. You say, God, I'm going to trust your design. <coughs> and I'm going to trust you when I, I know I can fill my schedule up every day. But I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to rest. God calls the one who refuses to work well, he calls them lazy. He calls the one who refuses to rest disobedient. <coughs> what are some of the signs you're maybe living without margin or you're living marginless? And again, a lot of these you're going to say, well, I've heard these. Yeah, because we're wrapping this up today. I'm kind of bringing things back together. It's Christmas. I'm going to try to package a tie bow on it. Okay, that's what I'm going to try to do here. And unfortunately, if you ever saw the way I wrap gifts, this may not look very pretty. But we're going to try. Okay, we are going to try. Signs of living marginless. One of them is that you become very self-preserving. You become very defensive or you're very controlling. And part of that is uh, you don't want to be exposed that you may not, you may be way, way in over your head. You ever been there that you begin to control everything and self-preserve it because you know you're way in over your head. You become very defensive about things. Another one is you become undis undisciplined. You're not sticking to the fundamentals of whatever it may be. It may not just be your spiritual journey. It may be your finances now. It may be your physical fitness. It may be the way you eat. You become very undisciplined. When pressure comes, that stress comes, and you're marginless, some of the things will happen. You become very undisciplined. That is, is you become very vulnerable to sin. You begin to rationalize God's grace, and we believe in God's grace, and we believe it's there, and it's awesome, but we begin to, if we're not careful, rationalize it, saying, you know, I deserve this. I'm under this much pressure. Okay, I can do this and get away because, God, you know what? You begin to rationalize sin. And what may happen in those places, the strongholds that were there years ago may begin to creep back in, or bad habits that were there long ago begin to creep back in under this pressure, under this marginless life. You may even go spend money you know you don't have you're so far ahead you may go spend money but it's the only way you know to get some kind of relief some kind of it's just you got to do something but here's the last one i'll share with you is this and you've heard me say this most sundays is when you live a marginless life people become a burden instead of a blessing people have a real tendency to become a burden in your life instead of a blessing in your life you're less compassionate when you're marginalized because you don't have time for people. Part of the reason is because divine appointments become disappointments. Divine appointments become frustrations. God intersects you with other people for whatever reason. And you and one of the things you get out of your vocabulary real quick, you say you don't ever ask people how they're doing because they may tell you. And you don't have time for that. Not only do you have time. 
listen to them. You don't have time to carry it with them. When you begin to live this marginless, very complicated, stressed out life. But we were designed for a rhythm. We were designed to breathe. You know, we talked about that. You know, breathing is really important. Very underrated. But especially is our spiritual journey. You know, when we talk about breathing, like many of you, how many of you ever caught yourself going, I don't know if I've taken a real breath in hours. You're breathing from here. You're breathing from your chest. You walk around most of the time, feel like it's right here. It's not from your belly, which is where you're supposed to be breathing from more times. It's from your chest. It's just, and it's a shallow breathing. Because of the tension, because of the stress, and you almost, if you're not careful, it overtakes your life, and you don't even know how to get back to the other way. Because you're just, well, you're breathing, I mean, you're living, you're just, but it stinks. But the soul, the spirit, the spirit, the Greek word pneuma, or wind, or breath, the soul, the psyche, the psyche, the Greek word for that. Versus the soul. And we talked about that. And I really, the Lord has, I mean, I've been a minister 20-something years, been a Christian, but, you know, a few years longer than that. I've really never talked about the soul much. But I'm going to talk about it a lot moving forward. Because I think it identifies a place. Talk about the psych, psychology. Because <clears throat> when you begin to talk about a person's soul, you're talking about the depth of their being. You're speaking to their subconscious. It's where we hold our deep beliefs and our attitudes. It's also where we have our feelings, our emotions, and where we retain our memories. It is where we ultimately, the soul is where we make decisions. People say, well, I've got to get more willpower. I'm going to tell you right now, will doesn't have any power. The will ultimately is the chooser, but it's influenced by how you analyze or think and how you feel and your emotions coming to that point. Mixed with the spirit. The will only follows what that happens there. The will really has no power. But the spirit. Our spirit is what gives us this intuition between right and wrong. But most of all, our spirit is where we have meaning and purpose. Our spirit enables us to love one another, to love ourselves, and most of all, love God. It's there that we begin to have His spirit connecting with our spirit because we were created in His image and spirit. It is there we begin to connect with Him and have communion with Him and have fellowship with Him. But what is so mysterious is, is where we talk about the heart. You hear the heart in Scripture. You hear people talk about people's heart, and they're talking way more than about the organ. It's that mysterious place where the soul and the spirit connect. I can't explain it on how it all works, but it's that place where the, the mind and, the, and, and, the, and, and the, the thinking and the emotions connect with the purpose and meaning of life. The scripture tells us, what good is it for someone, Jesus, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world Yet forfeit their soul. 
give in exchange for their soul. The writer of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it, for everything flows from it. And the NASB version says, watch your heart with all diligence, for, for from it flows the springs of life. Above all else. You know, we live in a culture that we've talked about through this series. We live in a culture that we protect all of our assets. I mean, who would have thought we talked about last week? Who thought years ago, 20 years ago, you'd have to have something, a guardian, guarding your ID? Who would have ever thought you had to protect your identification? But now with new technology, you have to go We protect so many of our assets. But here the scripture is saying the one thing that will determine the course of your life, we keep thinking we can outsmart it. We keep thinking we're exceptional. I know that sounds kind of hard, but we do. We begin to think, yeah, I know that applies to everyone else, but it doesn't apply to me. But the fact is, more lives and more families and more marriages are ruined. You know, you could lose your house and be in debt and pay it off the rest of your life and still not ruin your life with the way you can by not protecting your heart. There are more lives ruined in this country by people not protecting their heart than not protecting their assets. Call 
living with margin. It says where your treasure is, like where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be. Your heart, guard your heart, that, that's the same thing. Where your treasure is. Jesus knew that how you dealt with finances is how you, basically how a person could look at somebody's heart and tell where they are spiritually. What you do with money is a real, real issue. It's a heart issue. Because he knew that overwhelming debt and greed. We read it in the parable of the sower. We don't have time to go into that. But the third dirt we've talked about before. The third dirt. It says, these people were strong seeds, but the cares of this world, the deceits of it came in and did what? Chokes it out.
spiritual disciplines many times we think about them as reading the Word. And that is correct. It's about meditation. It's about prayer. It's about worship. It's about fasting. It's about serving. It's about simplicity. There's all these spiritual disciplines that, we've, that have become traditional in the church over the years, which are critical to who we are and who we're becoming. We'll talk more about that as we get into the spring, about specifics of the spiritual disciplines and why they're so critical to who we are. But I believe any spiritual discipline that takes a part of our life, I mean, anything can become a spiritual discipline that takes a part of our life and begins to turn it to be focused on Christ and spiritual transformation into His life. That could be how we're doing our finances. That could be how we begin to look at technology. And we use technology, not that te technology uses us. <coughs> Anything we can do to begin to turn that back to there and focus us on Christ and focus us on the journey can become that spiritual discipline for us. I mentioned a few weeks ago the whole idea of once we get on a path, we begin to get this direction where we believe God wants us to get to. We need to build in rumble strips that you know is on the side of the road when we begin to get off the lane. Before we hit the guardrail, we need to have rumble strips in our lives that begin to wake us up, begin to get us attention. It could be people. It could be things that fire off a trigger that say, okay, this is where you say you want to go, but now you're getting off before you hit the guardrail. We need to begin to get those in our, begin to put those in our lives and figure out what those are. But I want you to hear this before I, I, I know last week I didn't wrap it up this way and I, I thought about that. There were some things last week, you know, one of the things last week I, I, I mentioned even about technology. You know, uh, you know, look, you know, sometimes I look at my sermons after I preach them, the ones and I go, okay, I wish I'd have done this or that. But even the idea, I talked about it in my street with that, that uh, and I you know, apologize to Andy for this, uh, posting that they had post cameras picture on there before I got a chance to see her. But the reality was I missed that because of the fact that they'd been posted on Facebook before I had a chance to call out my family. And so I just want to clear that up. I don't want to ever mislead you. But one of the things I left on the table last week was to make sure that you understand I'm not fighting against progress. I'm not fighting against technology. But I believe this. It's not about renouncing progress and not about announcing te renouncing technology, but putting them in their proper perspective. Amen. It's not a question whether we should buy an iPhone or a Droid or whatever you're going to earn or a flip phone, whatever you're going to buy. Is it building or minimizing your relationship to others and relationship to God? Somehow or we've got to get a direction back to this thing, figuring out where am I headed. When we talk about finance a few weeks ago, it's not about renouncing wealth. It's not about renouncing money. It's not about renouncing possessions. But the question is, am I trying to build my own kingdom and trust in myself alone? Or am I trying to build God's kingdom and Him alone? But most of us never ask the question. We just keep doing what we've been doing. That's what disciplines begin to do for us. Begin to ask the right questions. And then begin to put legs to living this thing out. So what are some handles? <coughs> One of them is this. I think most of us, and I include Jan and I've talked about this, we've got to figure out our location. Be the first thing. Where am I in my finances? 
where am I when I begin to look at technology and how is it really helping and maximizing those relationships in my life and maybe even business, whatever it is, how is it, and where is it stealing? <clears throat> where is it sucking the life out of my home? And where is it advancing? Most of us don't want to sit down and do that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard work. This day and age, it's hard work to sit down. But we've talked about this. For most people, it's going to take some radical steps. The reason why I say it's radical, because if it was easy, you would have already done something about it. <coughs> Where are you on technology? Where are you on finances? Where are you on your spiritual disciplines? Where are you right now? If you really gauge yourself, where you are, where you are spiritually. I'm not even talking about saying, you know, just, just being, you know, attending church. I'm talking about if you took an internal, really hard look at where you are, where are you? If you're going on a trip, two things you need to know. You need to know where you're going, but one of the things you've got to know what front is what. Where you are. You've got to know your location. If I had a chance, you know, even ask you to look in your life right now, where are places in my life that I do these things based on the fact that I'm afraid I'll be left out. One of our greatest fears is we will be left out. The culture feeds into that fear. It, feed, it, it tries to make us feel like you're going to be left out if you don't involve yourself in this or that. Could you philosophy sit down and just go with your spouse or whoever it may be? Where are we doing things just because we're afraid we're going to be left behind? Not really if it's not us. It's not what we want to do, but we'll be left behind if we didn't do it. What are our values as a family? Where are we right now? Where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my time? What are my non-negotiables? Who are my influencers? But I think for us to really begin to live with margin, we have got to find out where we are. 
on this, but I want to give you hope today. There is a way out of this thing. There is a way out. But it is going to take some steps. It is going to consume some time. Between a couple going, where are we headed? Well, we're maybe retired, but we've got vacation. We're going to go here. But, but that's not, that's a place you're going. I'm talking about where are you headed? As couples. As families. One of the questions is, are you, are you living out what you want to multiply? Are you invested in what will outlive you? I said to a friend of ours, Brother Paul told me, I think he was one of his friends, said, you know, what good does it do to be the richest man in the cemetery? No, what good does that do? Are you investing in things that will outlive you and outlive your children? Third thing is, is uh, I would say spiritual pathways. Had an opportunity this week to go out to uh, Usury Pass and go out to the backside of the mountain there by myself. And my spiritual pathway, again, if you want to look that up, Sacred Pathway Dash North Point, you can look that up, and I think it's the first thing that comes up, and you can click on it. If you want to take the test, go, you know, I don't know what my spiritual pathway is. Mine is being in nature, and as you know, celebrate. You've heard me say over and over, celebration of music. I'm going through those seasons of stress and those things. I go, okay, I've got to get here. But you know, again, one of the things you lose if when you're under stress and marginless, you begin to walk way outside of where your natural pathways are. It's your soul's pathway to God. No, I'm taking those tests for good. I'm just trying to give some hands. I think are beneficial. And last thing I'd say is this. And there's a lot of things I could say today, but I think this may be the biggest one. <laughs> it's not the biggest one, but it is. Everybody, you know complaining is not attractive. I just want to let you know that. It's only attractive to other complainers. <laughs> and there's reality in life we've got to talk through. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's things in life we've got to be very open with and talk through and say, you know, this is not what we wanted. Boy, just being a complainer, I'm working through that myself. I'm preaching to me. When all the things I have to be thankful for. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It is God's plan. For us to be a thankful people. And it's His plan for us to be set apart in culture to have thankfulness and joy. Philippians 2, 14, 15 said, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And I love this. In which you shine like the stars in the universe. 
If you don't complain, and you become thankful and full of joy, you will stand out like the stars in the universe. In this culture, you will stand out. <coughs> you will look different. Proverbs 1.18 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It is really how we see things. It's really how we begin to look at the world. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul in prison. In Philippians 4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He wrote, Again, I say it, rejoice. Now, this dude is in prison. The word rejoice there is the Greek word Cairo, which, mean, which literally means to be well and to thrive. And think about that. No matter your circumstance, Paul's saying, be well and thrive. Rejoice. It is a choice to rejoice. It is easy to sit around and complain. Because I'm going to tell you, it's more comfortable there. Because most of the time it means I don't have to do anything. If I can critique it and complain enough, I don't have to take action. I think it, it was uh, uh, Michael uh, Galileo maybe it said, instead of criticizing, create. I may be wrong with the quote, but I know what the quote says. Begin to look at the world. How can I create instead of always criticizing? In a world where we're inundated with complaining, inundated with criticism, what if we stood out like the stars in the universe as those people who are thankful and full of joy? Most of us are going to ask the question like we did most of the time, it is biblical, what is the cost? To live without stress. What's the cost to live with margin? I think the question is, what's the cost if we don't live with it? I think there's too much at stake. Your marriages, your family culture that's around us. We've talked about it as a church here, and I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, maybe it was in the team training, you've heard this say too, I've said this before. One of the things I've wrestled with over the years as a pastor is when the church talks about being relevant, and I think there's cool things you can do with technology, I love the fact that we've got this, and I think there's some really awesome things you can do with that. But when you're the church that's just trying to be relevant, it almost means you're already behind because you're always chasing them. What did the world go do? Oh, I've got to go there. So I fight the word relevant in the sense of just trying to stay up with the culture. I think the church, again, should be the place that we look at culture and go, where is culture going? 
Now, when I mentioned to you last week our mission statement here is to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be soft and light or engaged and influential. But it's to be that place, as Harvard Stanford study says, the greatest impact on the future will not be technology, but the greatest impact on the future will be the void of great influencers. Why is it the church raising up the great influencers? I'm going to tell you what the church, I think, should be doing is looking at culture and we go, we know where you're headed. And when it all crashes, we're going to be there waiting. Not with I told you so, but with lives with margin. Lives of an example. Lives with joy and thankfulness. And yes, we used to live that way. But there is a better way and we can show you how. Instead of chasing culture, why not just go, we know where culture's going. And you can say again, what's it going to cost us to do that? What's it going to cost us not to do that? That's why I think we're here is to be those kind of influencers. Richard Swenson says in the last, I think it's the last words in his chapter on financial margin, he says, money belongs to God, wealth belongs to God, the kingdom belongs to God, we belong to God, Margin belongs to God. Only the choice belongs to us. That's how much He loves you. He's going to let you choose. Thought about just taking a few minutes here today. Since our last thought is, is to be thankful and not complain. Yeah, it does. It is a choice. I, I've come to that. But you know, you may have to get some people in your life that call you out on that. It's good to have that. The people who love you enough to speak truth into your life. And you're not so marginless that you become self-preserving and deny it. <laughs> and you're defensive. When they may tell you, you're hard to live around, but all I hear is complaining. Anybody ever had that said to you? Aren't you glad that you can count on people who love you to speak truth in your life? Well, I want to be thankful. I want to be a person who has not only joy, but a thankfulness. And we put two microphones up here today. We're not going to spend a lot of time doing this. But I thought at the end of this, in this, I'm going to say something here, and all of a sudden some of your hearts are going to go, <laughs> That's all right. But if you've got just a, a, a few words, and I don't, we don't need a monologue, okay? We just need a few words. Today, you just come up and go, this is what I'm thankful for. And this is why I'm thankful for it. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. We won't stay long. And nobody comes, that's all right, too. As Abraham Lincoln says, I'll prepare, and perhaps my chance will come. We prepare, and perhaps your chance. <laughs> just to come and just uh, like I said share is an awkward awkward feel I know you got to get up nobody has to stand except me yeah that's right and you got to walk out here but one of the ways that I believe is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines from scripture
are the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. One of the most powerful things as we march this thing out. Yeah, we may shout it, we may scream it, okay. Sometimes we just gotta go. I bet come and share that up with it. The opportunity, or if not knowing it comes, I'll pray. You get home early to football game. 